All right, we're live. How's it going? Good. How are you? It's been a minute. I know. I'm happy to be back. Uh, I think people behind the scenes, uh, we we back record episodes if either of us are on vacation. And I was gone for two weeks. Um, so we kept releasing stuff during that time period. But I am happy, very happy to be back. But uh, you sent me a picture of your laptop or, or what was left of your laptop, I should say. Yeah. Um, I had a run in with my laptop again. And uh, <laughs> the first time I dropped my microphone, um, this corner fell on the like stupid trackpad that no one uses. Um, yeah. So that shattered. But to send in your Mac, it's like said it was under warranty. It was like, okay, it'd be a week. And I was like, I can't go down for a week. And then last last week, I uh, put it up on a table and then I accidentally bumped it over and it kind of toppled over. And uh, next thing you know, my computer <laughs> screen spider webbed. And so then I was like, okay, I'm going to go to the Apple store now. So I like, everyone just kind of laughed at me and I left. I kid you not, I walk into the Apple store and I went in with the mindset that I'm buying a new laptop, but this is still under Apple Care. Like I'll get it um, warrantied and give it to another employee. I walk in and I'm like, I know which one I want already all the way to the right, you know, just slide everything to the right. Things that I don't know what this means, but sound good. Does it make it faster? I literally, I walk in, someone greets me. Hey, I'm here to get my MacBook fixed. They like to like scan this and they just like knew everything about my computer. They're like, okay, we'll be able to see you in 15 minutes. Is there anything we can help you with in the meantime? And I'm like, yeah, I want to buy a computer. And they're like, great, go talk to this person. I go in there and they're like, hey, do you know what you want? I'm like, slide to the right. I want that one. And then I kid you not, I was checked out within like three minutes. (laughs) And then they brought the computer to me. And I was like, wow, I just spent $3,000 in five minutes. And that's Apple. (laughs) They're, they're fast. They're, they're always like, uh, go, go stand over there by like to the right of the trash can or like next to the tree. And you're like, huh? Right here. And they're like, yeah, we'll find you. <laughs> and they're like writing all these notes, like, all right, kid, brown hair, uh, white shirt, you know, and they're like, oh, Mr. Steven. All right, cool. But the, the coolest part was also like, so the guy came up from to the, to warranty the laptop and he just looked at it and he's like, yep, you're under warranty until, you know, next. And I'm like, well, the battery's bad. The touchscreen's bad. The screen's bad. Mm-hmm. He's like, no problem. Scan this. He like put it in a box. He's like, um, we'll ship it to you when it's done. It'll be ready by Tuesday. And I just was like, I was, I, I just, I called Carson. I was like, well, I bought a new laptop. My other one's getting fixed and I was out of here in 15 minutes. And I think that's why I don't think people subliminally realize that Apple just makes it so freaking easy. Like you yeah. don't have to think about anything. Yeah. That's incredible. They 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 generally have like an amazing experience. I don't think I've had a bad one. I mean, just the fact that you can, you know, if you're under warranty, so many times it's no questions asked. It's just like, yeah, looks like you're under warranty. Cool. Um, just sign here for me, and uh, I'll see you in a couple of days. Or like, or here's yeah. the new phone. Um, but <laughs> I know, and and we're gonna get to what we want to talk about today. But I think Apple knows in their little pea brains, like Stephen in his lifetime has spent. $15,000 with us, 20,000, 30, I don't even want to know. Just keep him happy. So he's an Apple customer for life. That's it. I don't, and see, I don't know if they do know. I do know that if you are a business customer, speaking of which, if you buy Apple products for the team, make sure you go to the local store and ask for the business account. 
because A, you get a little bit better uh, treatment. You have someone reaching out to you occasionally. And B, you get slightly better pricing. Maybe it's 5% or something, but yeah. um, it helps. What's going on with uh, March Madness stuff, by the way? You're, you know, <sighs> collegiate shop and all yeah. that. Yeah. So it's it, we're recording this on March 22nd. We went into the tournament this year. Last year, we went with one school, which was Illinois. This year, we have 19 teams in the tournament. After weekend one, we only have four left. So your bracket's not looking great. Uh, the campusing bracket. Sales are actually still strong, ready for this. Women's basketball is our highest grossing. Um, really? Is that from the athletes or is that from like bookstores or or what? Or everything? Um, mostly the athletes like D to C online. Um, oh, so more rabid fans. The super fans are in women's basketball, like even more mm. uh, than I've ever totally eye opening experience. Well, and like you could bet that no one's really going after women's basketball <laughs> as much as uh, I mean, men's basketball from it, athletes. It's, and- it's been pretty, pretty cool to watch. Like, Indiana and UConn have been our two. Um, UConn's made women's final four for the last like 11 years. They like pack their stadium. Indiana sold out, sells out their stadium for for them too. So it's pretty cool to see because then like, I don't know. It seems like it's, an, it's, it's a more rabid fan base that's super into it. And they support um, the wow. female athletes. And I wonder so. if they know how to just market a lot better too. They are they're a little better at marketers than, than our boys. <laughs> you will be happy to know that I researched the difference between Big Ten conference and um, March Madness. I literally had no idea until a couple of days ago, and that it's not actually ten schools. How many schools is it, Bruce? Today I learned. <laughs> um, gosh, I can't even remember now. What is it like? Twelve? I, I think it depends, right? Or no? It's an it's more than ten. It's the 10 formed it and then now it's like whatever the top division one schools all right are we ready to jump in <laughs> that was that was bad bruce needs help good? that's okay we will we we'll, this? For, for no this is hilarious you don't know <laughs> you think bruce thinks the big 10 is changing every year well sort of is there's a couple more teams getting added yeah, but any see, sports fa- any sports fans listening 14. to this can just 14 um anyways Okay. What do we got? Should we talk? Should we talk sponsors first? First of all, um, you guys know this, but we've got four incredible companies that help support not only this podcast, but a lot of the events and things that we put on. Speaking of which, I want to give you a little teaser. I haven't told you this. Um, Print Hustlers Conf this year, a little uh, um, a sneak peek is we're looking at Los Angeles. Maybe the first weekend of November. So it's it's starting to come together. Made Labs doing a, a, a huge heavy lift to get things organized, but pretty excited, especially for what the tours are going to be and content, everything else. So, all right. Four awesome companies help put this show on every day. And so you guys absolutely need to check them out if you're looking for services that can help you. First of all, GraphX Source. Farrakh, how do you use GraphX Source in your shop? Well, we have three full-time GraphX artists and back office admin. So GraphX is our art department. They handle all our gra- uh, SEPs, mock-ups, um, digitizing, uh, vectoring, you name it. Um, but they're also our back office. They build all our online stores. They're in Shopify. They're in Printavo. They're literally part of our team. 
Um, and they're incredible. Um, they're really, really well trained. Um, they show up every day. Um, they are the first to greet you in the morning, just like Nick would. And they're, they're an incredible asset to the team. So if you need, um, or if you're thinking about it, you should definitely hit up graphic source for your art needs. All right. Another amazing company to check out and make sure you use is easy way. And here's why easy way is a company that pushes you to not spend all day cleaning dirty screens. Easy ways line of environmentally conscious chemicals will get the job done faster, more efficiently and cost you a fraction of the cost per screen. Not only that, the big thing is that because they work with a hundred plus distributors, um, they really focus on helping customers with how to's best practices and just general questions. They are there to help you give them a go. Uh, Multicraft is, um, got a pretty cool release of their new facility. Well, I have, this is a special tribute to Multicraft daddy. I'm so proud of him. Um, Dave Eggers has been working on this, has been talking to me and Bruce about this for years. Yeah, a couple of years. And um, they are building a showroom uh, in the Chicago suburbs. Um, Going to be kind of similar to what you may have seen at like Made Lab, having um, a bunch of awesome equipment in there, classes. And they have, it is called 1907 Print Easy. So it's kind of got a speakeasy vibe to it. Um, grand opening is Friday, March 31st. And I believe Made Lab's doing two, a class right before it. Um, but we use Multicraft for our all of our ink supplies and uh, the best daddy in the world. So go give him a follow, Multicraft underscore daddy. Hit him up. Super, super happy for them. It's going to be a, an awesome, awesome spring. Yeah, absolutely. And if you ever want to give him a try, Printavo Pie gets you 10% off your first order. He's at 663 followers, gaining ground. And last but not least, Supercolor. Supercolor has innovated on its transfers to make them more easier to use, if that's a word. But I think it describes it perfectly. The world's best heat transfer just got that much better. We recently had Mike and Rum on the podcast, which maybe you heard, and they really talked about how they developed this heat transfer by taking it to a variance of all different kinds of heat presses from you know cheaper to more expensive and all in between to make it for an easier peel, giving you more confidence and allowing you to decorate so much faster. You know time is money, so give it a try. This is the next gen heat transfer at Supercolor. Rum and Mike are awesome. We have a little side chat with them and it's just so cool how much they're innovating every single day and like making it better. Um, so hit them up if you uh, have ideas or you want to see something or even want some samples. Um, they've been fantastic to work with and uh, amazing, amazing partners. Thanks guys. Yeah. Printable 15 for 15% off first order. Okay. Um, I got a lot of notes of stuff. I thought there was, you know, um, we haven't, I had time to jump on to catch up, but I had a lot of things that I've been thinking about and going through. Um, I think the one thing that everybody's probably heard about was Silicon Valley Bank and what's been going on there. Um, so I didn't want to go into too much detail, but I did want to cover as to why it relates to our industry here. And maybe so there's some things we need to think about. I saw it firsthand happening. Um, there's like a, a small community of founders that had a lot of money in there. And I was in some of the threads. And uh, I just want you to picture all of a sudden, you know, on Friday before the weekend, you can't pull money out to make payroll. Like what, what kind of shuttering that does to you. And that's what happened at SVB. Um, 
So yeah, I saw it firsthand happening. It was scary. It was nuts. Um, Bruce, do you, do you want to go into the basics of it? Like explain it to me like I'm five. Yeah. Let, let me do just the foundational stuff and then we'll get to, I think why it matters to shops just to be, um, cautious here. So I think it's a bit of a culmination of, uh, a perfect storm in a way of how the events happen. It's maybe like six different things that are really short that that all happened over a couple of years that added up. So first of all, um, Silicon Valley Bank, they do work with a lot of tech companies. They're founded in in San Francisco. Um, they obviously work with a lot of small businesses, though, too. Actually, the realtor that we work with, her um, her small group, she has maybe five, six people on our team, runs payroll out of uh, SVB. So her payroll was frozen over the weekend, but fortunately it was good to go the next week. Anyway, so, you know, as tech companies grew in 2020, 2021, a lot of them were depositing a ton of cash into the bank, right? Now, what that did is, and it was insane amount. It was something like a hundred billion plus dollars, you know, like when everybody was buying all kinds of crap and like, you know, signing up for things, all that cash was going to these companies and they were depositing it. They took all that cash and they invested it, which at the time, um, not a crazy idea, although they invested in very long-term investments. Um, so things that you have to lock up for 10 years unless you get charged a fee. Um, and, and those, those were interest rates. Low interest, right? Right. At like 1.8 or something percent interest. Now, all right. So interest rates go up, right? As everybody knows. And um, you can buy these similar investments, what's called treasuries, um, or there's there's other different kinds of ones for around 5% now, close to 5%. So pretty crazy, right? But what that does is the value of the original ones are worth less because if you try to sell it, people don't want them because you could buy the, the higher returning investments now. So the point is, though, is that tech companies continue, though, to burn capital very quickly and not cut back as their sales started to slow. So they weren't depositing as much, but they were pulling money out. And so that created a storm of, oh, shoot, the bank has all this money locked up in long-term investments, but they can't fulfill depositors' withdrawal requests. So then they're like, we need to raise money. And they did that in a poor way and how they communicated it. And it scared the the essentially people that had lots of money there. For example, Roku, the, the, the company that makes those little devices on the TV, had like $450 million, for example, you know, in cash, um, sitting in a bunch of different accounts there. So um, this spooked a lot of people. And that really, especially, you know, a, a very, uh, you could call it incestuous or like people that are on Twitter a lot, things like that. They all spread the word very quickly and people ran to go pull out their money because that's a bad sign if they're having a liquidity crunch at a bank. And that's, right. that's called a run, right? Like a run on the bank. Exactly. Exactly. And so the, the Federal Reserve, uh, the Federal Deposit Insurance Company, FDIC, stepped in, though, and has guaranteed everybody's deposits, so everything's fine. A lot of still questions outstanding, What like the details, why did it happen like this, or shouldn't there be a stress test for this, and so on, so on. Okay, so all of this happened, but the real question is, and statement here is, what does this have to do with um, screen printing industry and you as a business owner? Um, I find it interesting, actually, what your investors reached out to you, Stephen, and said, maybe you can talk about that because I think that absolutely relates to this. And then 
I could talk about, I think, how you can solve for this. Yeah. So our investors reached out to us literally that Friday and said, like, do you have any money there? Um, and the answer was no, we don't, which is good. Um, but they quickly, you know, gave us a lot of advice on um, spreading out your money. Um, and so they there was kind of this panic over the weekend. The one thing they did tell us is like, you know, we're going to help out wherever we can. Even Mark Cuban was tweeting out like, yeah, I, I'll bail my portfolio companies out if I need to. But they immediately reached out to say, like, protect your nuts a little bit um, and and make sure you're good and spread your money out. Um, but it definitely was a scary weekend in in that tech tech space. So that was kind of the advice that they gave. Um, but it just started getting me thinking about like, a bank is where you put money safely. And after this event, that feeling of security kind of like went away. But what did you, it, and what did you do? Did like, did you move? Cause you said you use one bank or two banks and what did you do then after if anything? Yeah. So, um, basically that next week we just, so the limit is $250,000 per account. Um, so we spread out money over some different accounts and actually like, I have some like smaller, you know, banks that we work with, like for our commercial mortgage and, and more like regional banks. Um, so putting some money there and then also putting some money into like Chase um, because, you know, they're a little bit more legit. I don't know. Um, but I think what it started making me think of was like, OK, if the bank, if for some reason tomorrow there's a run on the regional banks here and payroll gets locked up for a week what will I do? Like, I'm going to have to tell my employees, sir, I can't pay you. Like that, that's just kind of what started going through my head was like, that looks pretty shitty. Well, I, I think, uh, well, we had been banking at PNC for a while, um, which is like a, a fairly larger bank, but I, I think there are plans to move off because of this product. Um, that I want to mention. So there's this thing called an insured cash sweep product. Um, so write this down because you should ask your bank if they offer this. If you are over, for whatever reason, 250000 in a bank account, um, it's important to have this insured cash sweep product. And essentially what it does is it automatically balances it out into multiple accounts, whether at that bank or other banks. And so it's a program with multiple banks that will automatically spread that for you every night. So you don't have to worry about it. Now, I hope this isn't like a fear uh, mongering or scare thing. I, I think there's a low chance of it. But at the same time, why take the risk, right? <laughs> I mean, especially after seeing what happened, you know, a week or two weeks ago now, um, there's enough that we have to all worry about. And if your bank doesn't offer that, you know, you could find one that does. I mean, Chase does. There's a bunch of smaller banks that do too. So insured cash sweep product. Very strange, but I think there's going to be more strange stuff as the Fed continues to increase rates. Um, I heard it's going to be interesting if the Fed decides to keep raising interest rates as just a flex to say they're sticking to the plan. And that if they decided not to raise them or lower them, that would cause more panic like something's wrong. Did you hear that? I believe it. I think there's actually a Fed meeting today. Then we're recording right now the 22nd. So we'll have to see what exactly happens. But there is an interesting effect um, of it. 
where their goal is to raise unemployment and slow down demand, which is the goal is to slow down inflation. So I think these are two separate problems, right? Inflation is still six plus percent. And until it gets to their goal of sub 3%, they are continuing down that path. And obviously there's going to be repercussions for that, including something like this. I don't see wavering from that goal to be able to, um, you know, make sure a bank is, uh, is not insolvent when the FDIC is supposed to worry about that. But who knows? I'm not an economist. All right. Um, Bruce, that's a, that's a lot you, of stuff right there. No, that's good. I, we haven't really gone like I'm not in the this as much, but I've obviously done a lot of research and it's good. It's good to learn about it for sure. Um, I'm I'm grateful for it. Um, yeah, I just wish some some folks would like distill it down for me. So hopefully that made sense from a distilled perspective. Yeah, I had to read through like so many things to be like, I literally was like trying to fathom it. And then it finally and then what's funny is it's like you think you made sense of it and you're, you explain it to someone. They're like, nope. That's all wrong. I'm like, okay. Inktavo cool. <laughs> um. has a lot of the software you're going to be able to use to keep track of everything in your shop, whether it's stores, art, or workflow. And here's why. Number one, Printavo, keeping track of your workflow from start to finish and keeping your team on the same page. You can't grow without having a really good, clean system to run off of. Number two, Inksoft, managing stores from one store to tons of stores at a time. You gotta be able to keep that all in one place too and manage their fulfillment in a very easy and clean backend. That's Inksoft. And then last but not least, three, Graphics flow. Here's what's really cool about this. When a customer goes to you and says, Hey, I'm on a volleyball team and I'm looking for 50 shirts, and you're like, Okay, what's your art? And they're like, I don't have any art. Well, guess what? Graphics flow has all of that art. They, as the customer, can look it up or you can look it up, and it's all grouped by different categories. It's incredible. When we're Googling around to find out inspiration and all that good stuff, it's all right there. And on top of it, you edit the art right there, you send it off for a approval and boom, it looks super clean. It, it, it allows not just the artist to be able to do the art, but also salespeople and people that don't know how to use Illustrator and Photoshop to do the art too. Super cool. It's like Canva if you've used that, but for screen printing shops. Okay. We'll jump back into the episode. We always talk about like, okay, in your shop, when is the right time to hire different people? And then also when is the right time to part ways with different people and how to know that and be better about that? Um, probably the most difficult task as a business grows. Like it's not, it's, it's not equipment. It's not dialing in, uh, you know, uh, printing processes. It's, it's, it's definitely the people and the team. And then it funnels down from there. And so there was this, Quote that I go through here, it was actually a tweet on this guy, Raj Jha, who was a programmer and attorney and ran a couple of companies, but he broke this down into four different types of people. And then, so I want to tell you it, and then I'm curious to get your thoughts. See if you think people fall into these buckets or if you think they're missing them. All right. So the first is adders. So there's adders, subtractors, and multipliers and dividers. So Pretty mathematical. Make it easy. All right, adders. These are folks that add value to your company. So you know they do a good job, and you don't have to prod. You don't have to follow up or ask, right? Or 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 do things to to make sure that things are getting done. 
they add value to you, they add value to the company, and they push um, the company forward. Now, on the other side, there's subtractors, which are more people, uh, people that are in it for themselves and don't necessarily care about the team or the mission. They're just in to clock in and clock out. Um, and they're just totally for themselves. His thought is immediately get rid of subtractors when you're able to detect that and don't waste time on it. All right. Next is multipliers. So if you do a job well and make the team also perform better, then you're then you're like in the matrix, right? You're, you're adding like three X performance to the company. So you're adding value to the culture. You're, you're doing a good job. You're helping your team. These are what we call the a players. Um, those are to, those are the ones that do you want to continue to praise and keep close as they're really helping push the company forward. And then lastly is dividers. So they could do great work, but aren't great for the culture and really subtract um, uh, from people. And, you know, I'm sure you've had someone where it's like, they're smart, but they, they, people don't like working around them. Like if, if you have to go in on a Sunday to the office and they're there, you probably are going to try to work from home. (laughs) You know, Um, they tend to feed drama or gossip and, and he's saying that you should get rid of them immediately too, which I think is actually the more difficult one especially if they're doing good work because of how hard it is to find people. Okay. So I followed you, you done a little bit of research ahead of time. So I was following this guy's Twitter. So pretty, pretty interesting. One thing he said to do is to keep a list of names and update it with a little note next to each with a plus minus divide um, or multiply sign, which I thought was really interesting is like, how do you categorize your employees like in your own journal? Right. But I thought it was interesting you know, if you look at it, obviously the, the, the highest performing person is a multiplier, but you're not going to get a room full of multipliers all the time. It's just not going to happen, right? Um, those are your high potential employees, your 10x employees, and um, you're probably only going to have a small subset of them. So then it's really saying like, how do I take the bottom half of the curve of people and just make sure I have as much adders as possible? Um, and I look at adders as energy, effort, attitude, positivity, always learning, you know, all those things. The one that really like he says it even more bluntly, Bruce is like, if you have a divider, fire them now, like immediately, there's no performance program to turn an agent of chaos into a good team member. And I feel like when I talk to other shop owners, they always bitch about that one employee, you know? Like I have one person that does this or I have one person that does this or this is driving me nuts or this person's been doing this for three or four years. And some of the best advice you've ever given me, Bruce, is like get off the phone and let them go. It's always made it very clear for me is if you're in a canoe and they're you're both rowing, but if they're rowing in the opposite direction, it gets it's like it's it's okay for a little bit. And then it gets really frustrating over time as you're trying to to push in a certain direction. And that's when they gotta be pushed off the boat. Well, okay, let me let me track that back for a second. I think there's a fundamental difference between a subtractor and a divider. And I think you shouldn't make a mistake and say this person is divisive or, you know. Because a subtractor, you know, 
is someone that needs like it says on here a short fuse performance program they need guardrails they're probably not going to go above and beyond um and they're probably in it for themselves they don't really care about the team they're just they're just there for a job so it's not to say a subtractor is a bad person or a bad employee they are probably just not going to add a ton of value does that make sense so, so I, you I think, think you keep subtractor, just keep them focused on plug and chug. I, I mean, I think there are some, this is what I'm starting to learn is younger people. They are in it all like younger people are definitely more in it for themselves. Like what's my job title? When am I going to get promoted? You know, why did this person get hired over this person? I think the older and more mature you get, you become less divisive, right? But you are more, I'm just here for a job. I want a good paycheck. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to go above and beyond. Tell me what I need to do. Tell me where to show up. Do you notice that? I have seen that. I think when people hit their 30s or maybe it's late 20s, you tend to understand a little bit more of where you want to go just like career-wise. And so it helps then a company to align that versus... You want to try something out of school. You're not sure you really like it. And then, you know, you want to try something else. Not sure you really like it. Right. And so it's hard being a smaller company to be able to, to work with that type of talent. If you know, you're, you're still sort of figuring things out. Whereas, Hey, we know where we're going. Like we, and we know the people we need to bring on this journey. So, um, we're an equal opportunity employer, by the way. Yes. Um, I mean, I vulnerably say like we have more under 30 year olds that work at Campus Inc. Um, just because of our demographic and, and kind of where we're at. But what's interesting is now that we have some more mature employees, it is crazy. Just for me, this is my only job. I've never worked anywhere before to see the difference in mindset and shift. Right. I'm going to ask you a question. When you announce to a team that you are hiring a new employee and bringing them on. Do you get more employees? Do you think more employees are more worried about themselves or excited about a new team member? I think they're excited. Why? Is it different for you? Sometimes I notice that people are like, oh yeah, that, that's cool. You know, in a growing mm. company, what, what are think? they going to be doing? What are they going to be doing? Oh, am I going to have to report to them? Uh, interesting. Right? And so that to me is a probe into are you a sub, are you kind of divisive or have that sub, you know like subtractive attitude versus an employee that goes oh my gosh I can't wait for them to start it's going to be so amazing to work together with them I can't wait yeah. to put our heads together I feel like the employees that are more worried about themselves and their job title and their role those are the ones that can get toxic pretty quickly. I don't know. As you guys were, I mean, you went from 10 employees, 20, I mean, Octavo's got, I don't know, 70, 80 employees now, maybe a lot. Yeah. But like when you were growing early on, did you deal with that when you brought like leadership in over maybe like yes. more yeah, junior we did. employees? You know, the one thing I always did though, because of that happening is I brought them into the interview process. So totally. if we needed to hire a manager, which I knew, all right, let's say we have three, four people. I'm getting spread too thin. We need someone that can lead the team. I don't think we have it internally to be able to step up because 
I, I wanted to take a bigger step forward. So I think you can absolutely, you know, promote someone maybe to a lead if they show some sort of management experience or, 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 or um, wanting to own that. But anyway, um, when I talked about that and it, this actually came up a couple of times, that person, uh, I, I brought them in early on. So I said, look, we need to hire someone that's, that's really senior. That's, that's had a couple of years experience that can be able to manage that has management experience. Like, you know, just to be able to take this off. What do you think? Right. And then, um, but I want you to be able to talk to them. And so I had them in on the final interview of the process and that way it wasn't a surprise. And I'd like to think they were more bought in and I'm sure they were still a bit bummed, but at least it wasn't, uh, Hey, this is your boss tomorrow. Do you, do you think that's where small businesses struggle to bring in upper management because they're worried they're not going to be able to manage? It's harder to bring in a manager over juniors than it is to like, cause, cause isn't that kind of how small business works? You start with like the lowest cost employees and then you start bringing management in. you don't really bring management in first. I honestly think it's a cost thing. Like, right. I You're think trying to be cheap. Was, yeah, I, I don't think it's valued as much. And, and I think unless you continue to grow and this is for, you know, if you're maybe like a sub $1 million shop and you, you know, this is your first or second company or so I can't emphasize enough how much looking back that a good manager can help grow and scale a team. And this sounds so, you know, cliche, but I want to say that it's not as much as they're going to be doing work. It's more that they take work off your plate. It's like, you sort of think about it as a cost of like, okay, they're doing this stuff and they're going to take this on and all right, cool. I get that. It's really, I think the real value add is, is removing not only tasks from you to do every day, but it's also mental capacity that you don't have to worry about stuff as much. And you could just get an update at, you know, during the week about things going on there. And that allows you to fill your brain with other stuff that you can find more um, value add to to the company or just not doing anything and just leaving earlier, you know? So this is how I would think about it. I think as we were growing, you know, um, I piecemealed management together too late because I wanted to have ownership over everything. So I was like very flat to start out. And now if I were to do it again, you know, crossing maybe like $2 million, maybe 1.5 to two, I would have really sourced or tried to find a leadership in sales and a leadership leadership in production. And just like making sure I had those two, maybe back office or admin or, or that kind of stuff. Like maybe, you know, you, you can outsource that. But those are the two parts of your business that fuel it um, and then actually get stuff out the door. And so if you're not thinking about that early on, like think think about your business three, four years from now, and you kind of have to start putting those blocks in place. I wish I would have done it earlier. I know, Bruce, you you always say, I wish I brought in management earlier because it is a great feeling when you can actually let go and be like, everything's running right now. That That is... Yeah. That is liberating. All right. I have a That's question a good, for you. Yeah. Go ahead. What else? What are you going to say? Okay. No, no, you go ahead. I was just saying, I think it's, it's great that you put a revenue mark on it. Cause I think that's always hard to say when, but you know, buy, buy one and a half million. Maybe it's to have it. F- five to 10 employees, I think starting to source that. And, and the other thing that I learned there while we're at that is pay top dollar for them because the cost of hiring cheap 
is a waste of your time. You're going to hire someone for $10,000 less and they're going to last six months and you just wasted $30,000 in six months of your time. So if you're hiring those first time people, you know, it's okay for them to feel comfortable because you know that it's going to take time and they have to trust you. Um, so that was my other, other thing of bringing in middle management. Okay. The difference between adders and multipliers, how do you test for multipliers? Because those are the 10x employees. Like, how is your relationship with a multiplier versus an adder? I have never been able to tell before hiring them wh- which one it is. So um, between adders and multipliers, I mean, I think there's certain signs sometimes, but then I wouldn't bring them on if I, if I'm getting like negative, like for example, if they talk very negatively about a previous company, another easy one, if anybody says something with, I didn't get along with management or complaining about management, regardless of if it's true or not, horrible red flag, immediately cancel the interview and moving on. Um, because a lot of times it's it's just like there it, a lot of times it's not management, but it's more of just the problems that they were having. So yeah, that's a red flag for me. But I I have never been able to tell that as multipliers unless a multiplier refers someone else and brings someone else in. There's a higher chance that they're very similar to them. And I've seen that a couple times with us happen where a multiplier recruits uh, a friend of theirs. I think how I kind of probe it is I try to test a couple different characteristics. So, you know, I think when you're hiring or when you're looking for those, those adders, um, you know, you're looking for, for me, I'm looking for speed follow through and like how concise they can, how concise they are like an independence. And I think if you give them a very quick project to do and get it back to you at a fast pace, you're going to just see how they like how they think you're going to see if they push back on you. So I might say like, Hey Bruce, you're, um, you know, you're a graphic designer. You're interviewing with me. Why don't you make me a, you know, five, five logos by tomorrow. Um, and let me know. Uh, yeah. Let me know if you have any questions and immediately I'm looking for like, how do you respond? Are you going to say, Holy shit, five. Right. Um, or are you saying no problem asking more questions and then sending it to me early? I did that recently with a graphic designer. Um, and he was really young and he like blew me away with this like beautiful notion board, all of his portfolio, nicely organized. And he told me, he's like, I don't have one built, but I can get one together quick. I was like, yeah, take till Friday. And he just like blew us away and he continues to blow us away every day. And I saw that like early on. So I think a project is a really good way to see how good like they can really carry something out um, quickly. I don't know. Okay. I want to, this, this is something that you are very close to because you've done it. Um, there was a really great article in Screen Printing Mag recently. Shouts out to them for uh, subscribe to their email newsletter. If you haven't, they, they put out some pretty cool content. Scaling to $5 million in sales as a shop. Uh, we've talked a lot about scaling to 250. We've talked about scaling to 1 million. We've had a lot of shops come on scaling to 1 million, but scaling from that to now five. They interviewed four to five different shop owners, and I tried to pull out common things that were said, but I'd actually like to say, like, for you, just to riff on what do you think 
the things are, and and I know there's no magic bullet here, but what do you think, especially looking back are uh, on, are the things that helped you grow to that point and beyond? Well, I think I first have to preface it to say, when you look at all the shops in that magazine, every shop is different in their own unique way. Like no two shops are the same. Did you notice that too? Yeah. Different um, niches, different types, different, different team sizes. Some were 20, some were 40 something. Right. We've scaled our business in a very unique way. Um, but everything that you see is like, they almost, there, there, are, there are inflection points in their company where something happened. It could be like they took a risk and bought some expensive equipment. It could be they acquired a shop. It could be they discovered a piece of technology or a tool, right? And I think when you look at all of those shops, it's not like those shop owners had a roadmap for them. They just created enough surface area to get lucky with kind of the, the risks that they started to take. You know, I look at like Justin from Oklahoma Shirt Company, who I look up to a ton. Yeah, he, he was in early on, on shirt of the month, um, you know, and, and that was the gamble he took when he was in medical school. Right. Um, or if it's like Tom Rowan at Advision, he acquired shops. He took a risk and bought those shops. So I think the one thing that I, I would say is you're playing poker and there's some some big stakes that you might have to gamble in or ante up in. And, and there were some decisions that me and my business partner, Jed, made of let's open up a store in downtown Chicago next week. I don't care what it costs. Like let's let's figure out a way to bring fifty thousand masks in. Whatever, let's figure it out. And I think when you look at those entrepreneurs, there is a little bit of gambling, like in their heart, and they're playing a little bit of poker, um, and they're putting a few more chips on the table. And then every once in a while, they'll like double down. And a lot of those times, they hit. And when they hit, you know, your business kind of balloons a little bit, and you're able to consume it. So. I think there is a poker mentality to some of those owners that are able to get there. It's not just some beautiful roadmap. There is a little bit of gut instinct. Um, a little bit. You have to be a little edgy, I think. I don't know. You, I mean, you know a, a lot of shop owners that do above $5 million. What, uh, what do you feel like, though, are tactical things, too? So, like, there's the high-level view, for sure, in the North Star of, okay, you know, keep pushing forward. Feel feel comfortable taking bigger risks. Um, you know, uh, we talked about the people stuff. What do you feel like are some of those items that, that really kept the ship moving? In towards five million and beyond, sales, a focus is a focus like purely on sales. Like I think KPIs I th wise, th meet, team I, meetings wise, hiring wise. What do you? Well, I think it's just there are shops that are screen printers, and then they sell, and then there's shops that are salespeople that have to figure out how to screen print, and then when you get both, you get a beautiful storm. So. For us, it was always what's our average order size, AOV. So, like, right, you know, it could be $1,400, $1,500, $2,000. So, we were always measuring what our average order size was. And then we were always measuring how many Why, orders. Why, to grow that? So, 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 we were inflating our, our, you know, trying to get bigger orders. Um, and we've been tracking that for like four years. It's pretty cool. 
Um, so we were always, but, but it was always showing the salesperson, what's your AOV, what's your AOV, what's your AOV. Um, and then based on your AOV, your sales goals were always built off of how many orders you could close and that it was a numbers game. So that's how, how we did it at Campus Inc. We said, Hey, your average order size is you know 1500 bucks. If you want to do 75 grand, close 50 orders. And then it was a game to close 50 orders. So like for us, we looked at those two things as our North star. And we constantly reminded ourselves of like every single month. Um, and I even, I have a sales tracker for myself so people can see what my AOV is or whatever too. So I think those, those were always super, 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 super important to me. Um, I don't know. From the outside looking in, Bruce, you've seen us grow from old campus sportswear to now. What have you seen? Because I might be partial. You've seen my pivotal um, moments and my my darkest days. <laughs> I mean, I I think like you from outside in. I think what started to happen was um, beginning to focus into an area. So it seemed like at first it was like. Uh, all right. Everything in Champaign and other local universities were close by, plus um, the student program, plus um, trying to do like company stuff and like swag type stuff. Um, plus, you, you know, like there was a lot of pluses where now, you know, all it's very heavily focused on athlete stuff. And it seems like the student program too, from, from the outside, maybe I'm. Yeah. We've narrowed stuff. it down to four buckets. Campus Inc runs D to C and B to B. B to B is through university departments and bookstores, fraternities and sororities. D to C is national fraternities and sororities and college athletes. We have four distinct buckets and that's all we plan. We don't market to anyone else. That was a pretty big eye opening thing. And I think if you look at other shops, right? Like, Look at Night Owl, water-based niche, like super, super intense printing for, you know, creators and bands. Um, that's their niche. And then they became experts in it. And so I think yeah. the point that you're getting at is... But also you you scaled and started to like clone what you were doing at your home turf university to starting to add it to other universities. Yeah. And so that's where I think you, the, the multiplier started to come in. Um, and grow it to the next level. Now, some people I know definitely don't want to have the added stress and are like just comfortable where it is, but this is for people looking to get to five plus. And that was your, your, it seemed like your path. I think the other thing, if, if we think about like a shop that's like, I'm not going to go to sell to, I'm not going to become a national company. All right. Come back to earth. Right. I think there's a couple things that were really, really important is maximizing the current customers we had to try to like double their revenue, right? So if there was a current company that spent 50 grand with us, how do we get them to spend a hundred grand with us? Um, Mark Kudre, you know, kind of talks about cutting off the, the bottom half of those customers and really focusing on the top. That is something we do at Campus Inc. every day is we are very relationship driven with our top, 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 top people. Um, the other thing is, you know, you can to do that, you can upsell more products or more services, right? And I think that's what's also helped us um, grow is like we've sold a premium. What is the stuff you guys have done? Building a, building a whole Shopify store for them and kind of helping them be a marketing agency a little bit and charging for those services, right? 
or, you know, charging for photography um, and bringing in a photographer to shoot it, right? Or helping them outside of the t-shirt um, and then productizing those services and packaging them because everyone's a t-shirt printer. But if you can add something special, right? And I use like night owls, I'm a t-shirt printer, but I'm the expert in water-based printing in America, right? It's almost like in that niche for Eric, um, you've added in the jerseys quite a bit too. Correct. Like sublimation. We've got an amazing Jersey, right? Um, we will, we will run your point. Yeah. We will run your e-commerce like a marketing agency. Um, and this is what it takes to work with us. So I see all of these business, like, you know, um, whether it's fulfillment, whether it's specialty designs, agency work, I feel like these businesses grow by something other than just shirts coming off a press. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. There, there were, there were four common things that I saw from the different interviews. Um, And number one was if you have the capital or can, whether you're just getting started or you're growing later buy another shop. Um, So if you're just getting into it, Buying a shop allows you to maybe get a couple people that are trained, maybe gets you some customers. Maybe you can call us half of them, continue on with you. Um, equipment, you know, a, a decent setup to be able to skip some of the learning and best practices a little bit quicker. Um, number two, uh, niching into a space. It seems like it's like a funnel, like what you're talking about, where to get to 1 million, it feels like you do as much as you can. And then after that, it seems like you continue to niche and you find your, your special place that you could play really well on that you streamline the whole business around so that you're super great at it. Um, one example was sports teams. So they mentioned they were like the headwear, uh, they held the licenses for minor league baseball teams. And that's where they really scaled on from. Um, I think what you're talking about to adding, creating a luck layer is because the more high quality customer experiences that you create, the larger opportunity you have to be able to, uh, land a bigger customer that drives a lot of sales. You ready for my big customer of the month? Do it. $80,000 NIL order. Whole, wait, how, okay, so can you share how you got that or what? Uh, we spent the farm going to Vegas and putting on a trade show that was way too expensive. Oh, so they're like, these guys are legit. They came in, gave us our cards, said we love to have work together, put in a PO within a month. And I'm sure that's a test order too. It's not like, a, like as in they have, they're ready to send like 3x that yeah. if this one goes well. My competition's hearing it. Don't talk to them. Thanks. But to your point, Bruce... Justin Lawrence says this like he's in the room where it happens and next thing you know he's printing for the thunder right like Brett Bowden's part of Fort Worth community like he's printing for you know the Mavs or whatever it might be but I think to your point something you said there was really interesting and Brett Bowden told me this like it's harder to scale from like three million or like two and a half million to four million than it is to go from like four to seven because that two to four is all infrastructure, leadership, management, all that kind of stuff that you have to start putting in place. So um, I think there's there's a, there's a lot of wisdom there. Okay. The third point is that everybody said the workforce is hard. That was probably one of the harder points. Maybe a slightly above processes. 
but the workforce is hard. I had a thought because I, you know, thinking back as well with uh, Printavo here, is it worth it? And I know they're not going to be a hundred percent busy, but is it worth it to have someone that could be dedicated to like HR and maybe they spend time on operations and stuff too, um, around call it one and a half to 2 million to allow to scale. And so this person would be responsible for job postings, interviewing, bringing people in, training them, um, and, and really start kind of fostering them and then also rehiring and the whole like backfilling, scheduling, all that stuff. So just everything people, or is it, is it too soon? You know, cause it's like, I always struggle. Do they have enough work if we're not hiring, say for a month or two, are there other stuff they could do? Yeah, we struggle with this. We're we're kind of on the fence right now of 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 bringing it on, but I think it's kind of that hybrid role. They're in HR, they're in admin, they're in operations. Um, they're always recruiting, you know, um, onboarding, getting laptops, <laughs> mice. Um, that's a tough one. I don't know. I don't. I'm I'm curious to know if you're a print shop if you've got someone in HR and how big you are and, and where you're at, throw us a DM because that's something that I've been thinking about too. Yeah. Love a comment or email Bruce at printavo.com. That's an interesting point. And then last but not least, um, growth. So they, they, most people said that they have struck it with, uh, a couple bigger customers that help sort of bend the curve a little bit, but overall it's fairly diversified around the base. There are some folks that, that definitely are very heavy contract, you know, in a very specific nature customer. Um, that feels riskier to me, but, uh, but Hey, look, if that's a stepping stone to be able to get to the next point to then diversify more hats off. Yeah. I mean, the only risk there is if you don't uphold your end of it and they can pull the rug out from under you. Right. But that's the risk you take. You know what? We should get Justin just on. Uh, we'll just, I'll just ask him to come on one of the next ones because I feel like we've talked about him a couple times. Justin Lawrence to um, riff on some stuff. He's a good riffer. This, this is good. This is good. I appreciate it. It's good to be back. All right, cool. Thanks so much for listening, Print Hustlers. We appreciate you. we got Stephen Farrig. Got Bruce at Inktavo. We're excited to be able to keep pumping out more interesting content. And by the way, if there's anything you want to learn about, just send it over. Bruce at Printavo, leave a comment. Love to see it. We can find this person. We will hunt. Th- there's people I'm hunting down still. I've got a I've got a list of five people I'm hunting down. So I will hunt down more people if you need help doing anything in your business. All right, we're signing off. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening. Hopefully that was informative. Don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to like. Don't forget to hit the bell for notifications. If you enjoyed this video, if you enjoy all the stuff we're putting out, it's really helpful. We love to just be able to see it. That means that we're doing a good job to subscribe, hit the bell for notifications and hit the like button. And I'll see you in the next episode. Bye.